Let's open in prayer. Dear Lord, thank you for this day. Thank you for this time uh, to be together, to worship you, to experience your presence together, and to receive your grace through each other. Uh, We thank you that the grace you give us in your church is here for building us up and for edifying us. And we pray that uh, you would just uh, speak to us through this sermon and that we would hear your voice through your word, Lord. We pray that you would bless this and you would build us up. And we thank you for your grace and amen. So today we are continuing our series called the GCF Vision. The vision, or the GCF vision, is a term we use a lot, but we haven't had a thorough teaching on it since Greg was teaching in RCF. And the GCF vision is that there are certain aspects of Christianity that God wants Christians to rediscover and restore. And in this series, we're focusing on five of them. Uh, Number one, having a biblically complete understanding of, experience of, and presentation of the gospel. Number two, being grace-based instead of performance-based. Number three, being reformed and charismatic. Number four, understanding the role, relevance, and responsibilities of the church. And number five, having a victorious eschatology. Now, I know I repeat these at the beginning of every sermon I do in this series, and there's a reason for that. Uh, Hopefully, if a person doesn't know where to start with trying to understand our vision, you could just think these five things, and that should give you a pretty good start. This is a pretty good covering of it. So we are on part four of this series on understanding the role, relevance, and responsibilities of the church. And uh, I was going to do a sermon titled The Role and Relevance of the Church Today, Uh, but I decided that before I get into that, I should just do an entire sermon on why Christians need the church. That's kind of part of why the church is relevant. That's one of three reasons why the church is very relevant, but Christians need the church. So that is the premise of today's sermon. Every Christian needs the church. That is the whole point, but I want it to come across as more than just a sentence. I'm hoping by the end of the sermon, you'll be able to uh, know why, why it's helpful, and be able to see it with clarity, why the church is helpful, why every Christian needs the church. So unfortunately, it's a somewhat common belief today that you can be a Christian and not need to be involved in a church. And that's just unbiblical. That's a thoroughly unbiblical idea, and it can really hinder a person from reaching what God has for them if they believe it. Because God has many things he wants to accomplish through his church, and God uses the church to build up believers. So if we believe we don't need the church, we're going to you know, not receive God's grace, God's gifts in that area. So we're just going to look at a few verses real quick before we get into why the church is helpful that just demonstrate clearly the idea that God wants every Christian to be involved in the church and Christians need the church. Let's look at Hebrews 10 verses uh, 10 verse 25. Not neglecting to meet together as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another all the more as you see the day drawing near. So in Hebrews, we are commanded to not neglect meeting together. This is a command to Christians. Christians are not to neglect meeting together, and that is a command. 
Let's also look at um, 1 Corinthians 12, verse 21. The eye cannot say to the hand, I have no need of you, nor again the head to the feet, I have no need of you. So that makes sense, right? Uh, the eye needs the rest of the body. It can't do much on its own. And it, it can't do very much without having a hand uh, to rely on. So the eye can't say to the hand, I have no need of you. And the head can't say to the feet, I have no need of you. But how much worse is it when we say, when a, a, a member of the body says not just to another part of the body, but to the whole body, I don't need you. I don't need the body at all. Forget the whole thing. Forget all the parts. I'm good by myself. Just me and God. I'm just an eye, but it's me and God. That's not biblical. It's much worse. Like, you know, Paul is saying it's pretty bad if the eye were to say to the hand, I have no need of you. How much worse would it be if the eye says to the whole body, I don't need you? It's an unbiblical idea. I was recently um, hearing a conversation where someone was saying that they believe they don't need the church and they just stopped being involved with the church because they think the church is about man's opinion and not about the thoughts of God. But they should consider, you know, the thoughts of God. The thoughts of God are that we need the church and he commanded us to be part of it. Let's look at Proverbs 18 verse 1. One who separates himself seeks his own desire. He quarrels against all sound wisdom. In the thoughts of God, any believer thinking that they don't need the church is thinking foolish thoughts. So if we're to care about the thoughts of God more than the opinions of man, we should think that the church is important, even if it's imperfect. And there's reasons why believers need other believers. Let's look at Ecclesiastes 4, verses 9 and 10. Two people are better off than one, for they can help each other succeed. If one person falls, the other can reach out and help. But someone who falls alone is in real trouble. So that's just the introduction, but we're going to get into nine practical ways the church is meant, or in some sense designed, to help every believer. These are real benefits we should really be taking advantage of. And together, they kind of practically form um, why every believer needs the church. You can't have the level of closeness to God or of character growth that you're supposed to if you're just on your own because God designed us uh, to work together. He designed it that way because God made humans in his image and part of us being in his image is we reflect relationship because God is triune and he has relationship in himself. So he doesn't want us to be off on our own. He wants us to be connected to others. So the church is an essential uh, means of grace in the life of every believer, but let's talk about how. So there, there's nine ways, practically, that the church helps Christians to grow, or that the church benefits Christians. So 
So the first one, uh, the church provides us with fellowship. The church is a place where we can fellowship with other believers, and there is a need for fellowship. All humans need fellowship. No one likes being alone. You know, it's, it's scientifically documentable that being alone long-term isn't good for people. That's why in prisons, um, going to solitaire is considered cruel treatment. It drives people insane. But anyways, let's look at 1 John uh, 1 verse 7. But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another. And the blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from all sin. The church is meant to provide fellowship for believers. God the Father doesn't want a bunch of children who get along well with him, but not with each other. God wants us to be connected. God wants us to have fellowship. And the church provides fellowship for believers, as it's meant to. And we all need fellowship. Fellowship benefits us. It's enjoyable, and it's, it helps us to grow. So that's one benefit every believer should be able to get in the church, is fellowship. Uh, the second one is it provides us with accountability. And we all need accountability. Let's look at uh, Hebrews 3, verse 13. But exhort one another every day, as long as it's still called today, that none of you may be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. Now, you could hear the first part of this sentence and think, well, in general, I'm not a very discouraged person. I don't need encouragement every day. It's very important, the second part of that sentence, so that no one may be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. Sin is very deceitful. And there's, you know, I'm sure we've all heard stories of people who fall into a certain sin and they kind of just have a justification that works for them. Well, God wants me to be happy. Uh, God wants this. God wants that. It's okay that I start to develop this emotional relationship uh, with someone I'm not married to that's somewhat romantic because God wants me to be happy. The sin is deceitful, and we need accountability. And God puts the church in place to help us with that. But there's, there's more ways the church, or more verses that talk about the church providing accountability. It, it helps us, it protects against the deceitfulness of sin. Let's look at Galatians 6, verse 1. Brothers, if anyone is caught in any transgression, and I think caught here doesn't mean caught like found out, but caught like an animal is caught in a trap or stuck in, stuck in any transgression like an ongoing sin, you who are spiritual should restore him in a spirit of gentleness. Keep watch on yourself, lest you too be tempted. No one can say with complete confidence, I would never fall into a major sin. If people could say that with confidence and be right, no one would be falling into major sins. But being involved in a church with people who know you is a safeguard so that if you do fall, someone can pick you up. So the church provides us with accountability. Let's also look at Hebrews 13, verse 17. Obey your leaders and submit to them, for they are keeping watch over your souls as those who will give an account 
Let them do this with joy and not with groaning, as that would be of no advantage to you. The reason spiritual leaders keep watch over your souls is because God has appointed them to do so. And God doesn't appoint someone to do something unless he wants them to do it. So God wants other people to be in your life to watch over your soul. It's plain in the scripture, because we all need accountability. And nobody can realistically say, well, I wouldn't fall into this issue. I don't need accountability. Typically, the types of people who fall into major issues are the types of people who think they don't need accountability. God wants us to have accountability, and we find accountability in the church. God wants it as a safeguard for his people. So that's the second benefit all believers can find in the church is accountability. Let's look at a third one, encouragement. The church is meant to provide us with encouragement. Let's look at 1 Thessalonians uh, 5, verse 11. Therefore, encourage one another and build one another up just as you are doing. And also, just like we looked at Hebrews 10.25 earlier, not neglecting to meet together, as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another, uh, all the more as you see the day drawing near. The church is meant to provide believers with encouragement. We all need encouragement from time to time. Life is filled with problems, a number of which become discouraging after a while, and we all need encouragement. Sometimes we need the type of encouragement that helps with discouragement, and sometimes we need the type of encouragement that helps with motivation. But we all need encouragement from time to time. And we are meant to find that in the church. The church is meant to be a place where we can receive encouragement, at least if we're willing to be involved in it, to get to know people and to be open with people. Because no one can encourage you about things they don't know are going on in your life. But the church is meant to be a place where any believer can find encouragement. And we all need encouragement. Uh, the fourth benefit I want to mention that we are meant to be able to find in the church is that being in a church and meeting in a church is supposed to help us to meet God in a deeper way. Let's look at Matthew 18, verse 20. For where two or three are gathered in my name, there I am among them. Now, I talked about this, uh, I think, last week or the week before. He doesn't just say where two or three believers are gathered, but where they're gathered in my name. And I kind of think that has to do with being gathered to worship or to pray or to build each other up. Um, but where two or three believers are gathered in Jesus' name... His presence is there in a special way, and he says it will be. We, we are um, supposed to be able to expect to meet God and to experience his presence in a special way when we gather with other believers, and it's not the same exact way we encounter God when we're praying on our own or worshiping on our own. And every believer does need both. Just like every father enjoys spending time with their children individually. 
I want that one-on-one -on -one relationship with my kids, even though I only have one at the moment. I'm confident more will be coming. I'm not going to tell you all when. But uh, more will be coming eventually. But when I have more than one, I'll want to hang out with my children as a family, all of us together. But I'll also want a, a personal relationship with each of them. And if I was missing either one of those, I'd be a bit disappointed as a father. God wants us to encounter him one-on-one, -on -one, personally, and also as a group. And that's why God uh, promised that he'll meet us in a special way when we meet him as a group. And it's also why he told us in, you know, in the Beatitudes to spend time praying alone. Every believer needs both. But again, there's a special benefit that we get in the church of being able to encounter God's presence in a special way when we worship and pray and meet with other believers. And we need that. If we want to really know God as deeply as we can and experience him and enjoy him as deeply as we can, we need that. We need to be meeting with other believers for worship and for prayer and for building one another up. And we really can meet God in a deeper way when we do that. So that is the fourth benefit that we're meant to be able to find in the church. The church is meant to provide believers with. Uh, the fifth one I want to mention, and a very important one, is that God ministers through the, to us through the gifts of the Spirit through his church. God gives the gifts of the Spirit for edifying one another, and we encounter that in his church. There's a reason, because God wants us to have some level of need for each other. God designed the church to be interdependent. God didn't give any individual in the body of Christ all the gifts. And since you don't have all the gifts, you need to meet with others who have gifts that you don't have. But anyways, let's look at 1 Corinthians 12, verses 7 through 11. To each is given the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good, for the good of others in the church. Each is given the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. For to one is given through the Spirit the utterance of wisdom, and to another the utterance of knowledge, according to the same Spirit. To another, faith by the same Spirit. To another, gifts of healing by one Spirit. To another, the working of miracles. To another, prophecy. To another, the ability to distinguish between spirits. To another, various kinds of tongues. To another, the interpretation of tongues. All these are empowered by the same Spirit who apportions each one individually as he wills. Now we've seen uh, elsewhere in 1 Corinthians, especially when Paul is talking about prophecy, that not just prophecy, but all the gifts of the, the Spirit in 1 Corinthians 12 are given so that believers can build up each other. But that doesn't happen without us meeting together to build up each other. You don't get that alone. But God gives the gifts of the Spirit to his church so we can use them to build up each other. And these are very uh, helpful things. Having words of wisdom. God giving divine wisdom that you couldn't have otherwise. Words of knowledge. God giving divine knowledge that you couldn't know without God giving it to you. Prophecy 
for encouragement and comfort and uh, exhortation, discernment of spirits, miraculous healings. It's pretty convenient to be miraculously healed of something when you have a major illness. And that's something we can get in the church. All the gifts of the Spirit are pretty, they're like a big deal. They're like very beneficial. If you read through all of them, they're very beneficial. Life with them would be much better than life without them. But the way you access them, the way you get benefited by them, is by being involved in a church, a church that exercises them. You're not going to get them alone. And when we meet together as believers, it's supposed to be for building each other up, and we should be seeking to bless each other by using the gifts of the Spirit. Let's look at 1 Corinthians 14, verse 26. What then, brothers? When you come together, each one has a hymn, a lesson, a revelation, a ton, or an interpretation. Let all things done for building up. When we meet together as Christians, we should be seeking to use the gifts of the Spirit to bless each other. So we should be praying that God would speak to us and work through us and uh, give us a manifestation of the Spirit to bless other believers who we're gathered with. That is what we're supposed to be doing. Let's also look at 1 Peter 4, verse 10. As each has received a gift, use it to serve one another as good stewards of God's varied grace. If you just, you know, if you read through the nine gifts of the Spirit mentioned in 1 Corinthians 12, the Christian life with them would be drastically different from the Christian life without them. Everyone would be more empowered and better off. But we get them in the church. You don't get the benefit of the gifts of the Spirit by yourself. You get them in the church. And even though uh, due to the church, Due to the lack of seeking them and lack of faith and all the unbelief that exists uh, throughout the modern West, there might be a bit of a lack of these gifts in the modern West, but God's still working to cause this to be restored. You can find these gifts being used in charismatic and Pentecostal churches, and all churches are meant to experience this. The sixth benefit that uh, the church is meant to provide for Christians is it provides instruction, correction, and equipping. Let's look at Ephesians 4, verses 11 and 12. And Jesus gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds, and teachers to equip the saints, that is, every believer, for the work of ministry, for the building up of the body of Christ, or for the growing of the body of Christ. So God gives leaders in the church to help each and every individual member of the church to grow. That's why God gives church leaders throughout the world, so that individual believers can be growing, can be equipped, can be ready for the work that God has for them. But we get that in the church. 
Churches also generally, as they're supposed to, teach the scriptures. They teach using the scriptures, and, uh, and the scriptures are read and taught. And that, let's look at 2 Timothy 3.16. All scripture is breathed out by God and is profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness. So the scriptures are profitable or are useful for teaching and for reproof and for correction and training in righteousness. And we all could use those things. But just because the scriptures are useful for something don't mean we use it for that. Um, And I kind of say that to say, like we can be reading the scriptures on our own but sometimes we don't use them to correct ourselves when we need it. Because it's much, it's a lot more comfortable to not correct yourself. Typically, we're inclined to not correct ourselves. And it's kind of easier to find correction when someone else corrects us. We're kind of more likely to be corrected if someone else corrects us. Which, you know, the church is where we find accountability. But the church is also where we find instruction, correction, and equipping. And we need that. You know, the internet is kind of one of the biggest proofs for this there is, but no one can learn as much or know as much on their own as with other people. You can know a lot because of Google, but if you were the only one on earth, even if somehow Google existed, Every search would bring back zero results. The reason there's things on the internet is because of people. And you can learn things because there's other people who are learning things. So in the church, we're meant to find instruction and correction and equipping. And we need that. Uh, The seventh benefit we're meant to be able to find in the church is we can receive prayer in the church. So we should be praying for ourselves, but it's also good to be prayed for by other people. We all need prayed for. Prayer makes a very big difference. Let's look at Ephesians 6, verse 18. Praying at all times in the Spirit with all prayer and supplication, to that end, keep alert with all perseverance, making supplication for all the saints. So it's pretty clear that God wants believers to be praying for each other. We all have various needs, um, especially needs for spiritual growth, and God wants us to be praying for each other for those things. And we are greatly benefited to have other people who are praying for us because prayer can accomplish a lot. Let's look at James 5, verse 16. Therefore, confess your sins to one another and pray for one another that you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous person has great power as it is working. So James is kind of implying here that not only should we be praying for others, but when we have needs, we should seek prayer. We should seek that others would pray for us. Because he says, therefore, confess your sins to one another and pray for one another that you may be healed. And not only that, but James says elsewhere, if a person is sick, they should get prayer. 
prayer for churches where we can know others, so know how to pray for them, but we can also receive prayer, and we need that. We need others to be praying for us. Typically, any big thing God wants to do anywhere throughout the world, in an individual's life or in a nation's life, he wants prayer to be a part of it. The church is where we can find prayer. All believers should be benefited by other believers praying for them, and we should find that in the church. The eighth benefit uh, God means for us to find in the church is that we can get help for practical needs. Let's look at Romans 12, verse 13. Contribute to the needs of the saints and seek to show hospitality. Let's also look at 1 John 3, verse 17. But if anyone has the world's goods and sees his brother or a brother in Christ in need, yet closes his heart against him, how does God's love abide in him? So a person should be able, because we all from time to time may encounter you know, physical needs that we can't meet on our own, and we should be able to receive help for that in the church. Part of that involves humbling ourselves, which we should do. We, should, we shouldn't be so proud as to not receive help. Now we do have to be somewhat, we have to be wise about it. We, we're not to allow people to take advantage of us because it also says in 2 Thessalonians 3.10 uh, that if a person... Well, Paul says, for even when I were with you, we would give you this command. If anyone is not willing to work, let him not eat. So we should provide for each other's physical needs if a person has an unmet physical need. But we should also be expecting each other to work and to not be lazy. But the, the church should be a place where we can get help for practical needs when we need it. The ninth benefit that I want to mention that all believers should be able to find in the church is it should be a place where we can serve others. So the eight things that I just mentioned are things we could use that others in the church can provide for us, but each one of them is also a need that others have that we should seek to bless others with. We should have that mentality. Jesus taught that it's more blessed to serve than to be served. It's more blessed to give than to receive. And if we're actually going to be his, a follower of Christ and not just deceive ourselves, we should believe that. We should believe what Jesus says if we claim to follow him. And if we really think that it's more blessed to serve than to be served, we should go to church seeking to bless others. That's part of the reason why it's, I think it's so foolish for a person to say, well, there's issues in the church. I don't want to be a part of the church. The church isn't just about you receiving. It's also about you giving. If you're actually part of it, not only that, but I, I have this mentioned as a benefit. It's the ninth benefit because having a place to serve is something we need for our own sake even. Having a place to serve helps us in so many ways. It helps us to grow. It helps us to be fulfilled and to have a sense of significance, a sense of that our life is accomplishing something. It helps us to grow closer to God. 
having a place to serve is a benefit that the church provides us with. God wants us to serve others for others' sakes, but he also wants us to serve because he cares about our sake. I want to look at a passage in Philippians, Philippians 4, verses 15 through 17. And you Philippians yourselves know that in the beginning of the gospel, when I left Macedonia, no church entered into partnership with me in giving and receiving except you only. Even in Thessalonica, you sent me help for my needs once and again. Not that I seek the gift, but I seek the fruit that increases to your credit. So Paul is saying here that the Philippians sent money to help with the ministry. And Paul is glad that they were doing that, but he says not so much that I'm glad that I have money for food while I'm working, but I'm glad that you give because when you give, God's going to bless you uh, whether now or in eternity, and Paul was happy about that. And I think God, to some degree, wants us to serve the same way. Or God's desire for us to serve is similar to Paul's desire in that sense. God wants us to serve for others' sake, but because God loves us, that's another reason he wants us to serve. So in the church, one of the benefits we receive is a place to serve, a place to bless others. We can all pray for others. We can all uh, walk in the gifts of the Spirit and bless others through the gifts of the Spirit. We can help others with practical needs. Any of the nine benefits on this list are things we can provide for others in the church. And kind of wrapping it back around, we can even provide the ninth benefit to others in the church when we allow others to serve us which allowing others to serve you is something you have to do. Jesus told Peter when he was going to wash his feet, and Peter said, no, never, I won't let you wash my feet. I won't let you serve me. Jesus told him, if you won't let me serve you, you have no part with me. You have no part in my church. But anyways, these nine benefits are things we can provide to others. So the church is very important for Christians. If you consider these nine benefits together and how big the culminative benefit of them is, I hope it becomes clear that uh, the church is essential for Christians. We all need these things. Life with these nine things is much better than life without these nine things. The church is an essential means of grace in the life of every believer, as God designed it to be. So we've talked at the very beginning of this series when we talked about being grace-based rather than performance-based, that when the Bible uses the word grace, it doesn't only mean unmerited favor, but it's often used to speak of empowerment. In the church is where we receive God's grace. It's one of the means of grace, one of the... Uh, three means of grace being the word, the church, and the spirit. Let's look at 1 Peter 4, verse 10 again. As each has received a gift, use it to serve one another as stewards of God's varied grace. So each person receives grace and uses grace to serve one another. So we receive God's grace through others. The church is one of the means of God's grace, God's empowerment. 
The church is an essential means of grace. A Christian can't can't be and do all that God wants them to be and do without the church, without real involvement in the church. You know, you can still attend on church and only show up on Sunday and not really meet with people and miss all nine of these benefits, not actually have fellowship, not actually talk to others enough to receive encouragement, not actually have accountability. It takes more than just showing up on Sundays and then leaving right away without talking to people. It takes actual church involvement. God wants every believer to be involved in the church. But anyways, the church is an essential means of grace in the life of every believer. Before we get to our conclusion, I just want to say one more thing. The fact that churches aren't perfect is no excuse to not be involved in a church. So, not only are churches not perfect, but spouses aren't perfect either. So, if, if a person thinks that churches being not perfect is a reason to not go to church, I'd encourage them to give up on getting married. You may as well. Because, you know, humans aren't perfect, but that's just not a good reason to cut off relationships. It's like me saying my Corolla isn't perfect, so I'm never going to drive again. My Corolla is not perfect, but it is much better than not having a car. Not, so that's one reason that, you know, there aren't, the fact that churches aren't perfect is no excuse to not be involved in a church, because nothing's perfect. Not only that, but finding a good church to be involved in isn't just about how well others serve you. It's about you serving others. And the idea that you should just avoid getting involved in a church just because you might get hurt is a demonic lie. It's a lie that demons want you to believe. Not the idea that you could get hurt, but the idea that that makes it not worth it. You could get hurt by being developing relationships with other people. But the idea that it's not worth it just because you could get hurt is a lie, and it's a lie demons want you to believe. Because demons want to divide and conquer. Demons know that the church will be easier to conquer if it's separated. Demons know that you'll be more vulnerable if you don't have accountability. And demons don't want you to receive the grace that God has for you in his church. So in conclusion, the church is an essential means of grace for any and every believer. I really do mean essential. We all need it. It's not just something that you can live without and be and accomplish what God wants you to be and accomplish. It's an essential means of grace for any and every believer. Even though it might not be commonly seen as that today. Uh, the second part of my conclusion is that we all need to be seeking involvement in a local church. Without in actual involvement in a local church, we won't receive the nine benefits we just talked about. We need to be involved in a local church. 
So that brings us to our communion meditation. Today's communion meditation is called, What Would God Not Forgive? So the point of this communion meditation is that Christ's blood is enough to cover any sin, and his love is enough to forgive any sin. That being said, Christ's blood only applies to those who trust in him. But for anyone willing to truly trust Christ, there is nothing Christ isn't willing to forgive. Let's look at Romans 8.32. He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? So Paul is making a logical argument here. If God gave up, if God the Son came in the flesh and died, how would he not give us anything for free? That's really the only way he could have paid for anything is to become a human and suffer. Because he could pay for things physically, but he can create anything at will. So that doesn't cost him anything. But he paid the most He could possibly pay by sending his son to die, by coming as a man and dying a painful and excruciating death on the cross. So if he's willing to do that, what wouldn't he give? But I want to take this logic argument and apply it to forgiveness as well. If he's willing to die for any sin, no matter how small, Why wouldn't he die for any sin no matter how great? If he was willing to die, it doesn't matter how big or small the sin is. He was willing to die. That's the significant part. It's not about how big or small your sin is. All that is petty compared to the fact that he died. Let's look at uh, John 3, 16 through 18. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son, that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. Whoever believes in him is not condemned. It says whoever. That implies uh, any sin because it includes any sinner. Whoever includes any sinner, therefore, God is willing to forgive any sin. Whoever believes in him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe is condemned already because he has not believed in the name of the only Son of God. So God's, Christ's blood is enough to atone for any sin and his love is enough to forgive any sin and that applies to those who truly trust in him. So let's praise him as we come to the table.